a friendly warning. Some of the stories in the Monster Box contain scenes depicting adult themes, strong language, sexual content, and intense violence. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, friend, and welcome to The Monster Box, a collection of audio stories of and about monsters inspired by the D&D universe. I'm your resident monster host and narrator, Chuck D. Yeager. Beside me sits the aforementioned Monster Box, a treasure chest full of stories written by a collective of monster lovers, like yourself, known as the Monster Nation. Each time I open it, I release a new tale about a different creature for your enjoyment. So let's lift the lid and see what awaits us. Today's action-packed story features the owlbear. Now, if you aren't familiar, the owlbear is literally what it sounds like, a cross between the two animals. With the face and beak of an owl, it can see perfectly at night when it hunts its prey. And with the body and strength of a bear, it can rend its targets into pieces in mere seconds. They are extremely territorial and will stop at nothing to show trespassers there's nothing cute or cuddly about this monstrous foe. This story is brought to you by Chris Bassetto, dear listener. I hope you enjoy it. It's entitled, Halves. Scraping the tip of his unstrung bow through the dirt, the old ranger added a few final touches to the image. Then he rose on creaking knees to cast a baleful eye upon the semicircle of elven teens. They crowded around the ranger's sketch with puzzled expressions. As senior students of Eldabeth, they'd been exposed to all sorts of creatures, in books and firsthand, magical and non-magical, innumerable shapes, sizes, forms, and functions. But the beast that the old ranger drew for them now was just... ridiculous. Bryn laughed first. A giggle that started like soft wind chimes grew gracefully to become a clear, rippling stream bubbling thoughtlessly. Then Galen barked his own laugh, sharp and haughty, dripping with scorn. Partha joined in quickly after Galen. She spared a quick glance of sympathy for the scowling old hunter, but laughed nonetheless. Roldo snorted with a loud honk. That made the others laugh even harder, while Roldo coughed and laughed some more. It wasn't entirely the student's fault. The ranger clearly meant the picture to evoke the heraldric style that you might find painted on a royal banner or champion shield. A proud lion or fearsome dragon, rearing up with majestic fury. But a needle-strewn patch of dirt was no banner or shield, and the old ranger was no artisan. If the ranger hadn't given the creature a name, they might have guessed in any number of directions. A fat, wingless hippogriff? A hook-nosed ogre? A were-emu? It could have been any of those, or none. Something a child might paint with her fingers on a shield fit for a sad clown. Nothing to laugh at, the old ranger scolded. This beast slaughtered a whole herd of sheep on its way up the mountain, and probably ate the shepherd boy as well. We are neither sheep nor shepherd boys, old man, Galen sneered. He snapped his fingers, and the ranger's dagger leapt out of the sheath on the old man's hip. Dagger wasn't the right word for it. Looked half a sword, really. The leather-bound handle had seen some hard use, worn and stained. The blade seemed as wide and heavy as an axe, but the edge was bright and keen. 
Partha's father had a similar dagger. She'd watch him oil and sharpen it countless nights when he was too tired to argue with her. With a twirling gesture, Galen sent the dagger spinning in the air between them. The ranger glowered. Galen only smirked in return. It didn't help the ranger's case being the opposite of everything Galen prized in this world. Old and dirty and human. We're senior students at Eldabeth Magical Academy, Bryn chimed in sweetly, on an accredited expedition to the pickets. To gather rare herbs, Roldo added. The ranger tried to keep his voice patient. I'm sure your parents and instructors would prefer that you return to the city safely rather than risk your lives for some flowers and mushrooms. And I'm sure, said Partha, you have no authority to tell us what to do. When Partha first saw the old ranger stomping up the hill towards them, she had felt a twinge of panic. Had her father sent someone after her? He'd forbidden the trip at the end of their last argument, of course. And, of course, she went anyway. Would she be forced to go back? Or worse, would the ranger blurt out her father's name in front of the others? Her relief at the ranger's true purpose turned to annoyance. The ranger nodded slowly. Then, quickly as a snake, he flicked out his hand and caught the twirling dagger firmly by the handle. I'll be up and down the mountain until the beast is caught or killed, he said evenly, replacing the dagger in its sheath. Just give a shout if you're eaten. As the old ranger loped away through the forest, Roldo mused over the dirt sketch he'd left behind. It's sad somehow. The animals they used, they're really noble creatures. The two halves together making something less than whole. Galen made a brisk backhand gesture. A sudden rush of air swept the dirt sideways, like an invisible broom sweeping across the ranger's absurd picture. It's an insult, he said, though it wasn't clear if he was talking about the creature or the ranger's last words. Two species mixed, said Bryn with an airy voice and a bright smile. It's an abomination. But Bryn met Partha's eyes as she spoke, and there was no light in that look. The old pine trunk stood still, just as Partha remembered it, twice the height of the tallest elf and nearly two strides across. Solid as rock, but hollow within. When she was a young child, her mother had sent her through the crack in its side to search the interior. A perfect place for rare and delicate plants to grow, mother said, safe from forest creatures and cold winds. They'd often found plate berries there. Each time Partha's father would venture forth on an expedition, mother used the berries to enchant his shield, a little magic to protect him alongside their love. Partha's mother never kept the truth from her. Her father might not return from this expedition, or the next one, or the one after that. He was the only one they were all prepared to lose. He was the one that should have died. Partha still fit through the crack in the hollow trunk, just barely. Sure enough, she spied a trove of plate berries growing inside. She smiled as she plucked a handful, then placed them in her gathering pouch, careful not to crush them. She squeezed back out the hollow of the trunk, back to the open air of the pickets. Peering through the dense pines, Partha could just barely glimpse the sprawling roofs of mead, and turning the other way, she saw the jagged line of the Harrow Peak soaring practically overhead, so bright with sunlit snow that it hurt to look at them too long. The city below, the mountain above, the pickets in the space between. The natural splendor of the forest reminded Partha of those visits with her mother, and she couldn't help but smile once again. 
Tiny birds chirped overhead, celebrating the coming of spring. A rivulet of icy water cut into the hillside, fringed with pale green sprouts. Thaw was the best time for finding rare herbs. Just as they began to poke up out of the cold soil, grasping at each precious coin of sunlight that might fall through the interlaced pine boughs above. Virgin's hair and turn corn, butter beets and green caps, hangman's hood and forest whelks and nine fingers. The other students were close by, likewise searching the forest floor. Galen kicked through the dry needles, seeing nothing worth bending down for. Bryn took a bit of sweet bark from a tall pine and nibbled it when she thought no one was looking. Roldo used a curved glass to examine a mushroom's colored markings. Who do you think made it? Roldo asked absently. The creature, I mean. Bryn half sang. Humans, probably. No elf would act so irresponsibly. Can you believe how that ranger spoke to me? Galen asked, as if I were a child. Is that how humans talk to their children, Partha? Asked Bryn. Partha flushed, averting her gaze. The other students at Eldabeth weren't supposed to know about Partha's parentage. But Bryn and Partha had been friends once. It seemed like ages ago. Partha told Bryn her secret back then, and Bryn swore it didn't matter to her. Gradually, they drifted apart. They moved in different circles, pursued different interests. Partha never believed that her half-blood parentage had anything to do with Bryn drifting away, but now a small doubt crept in her mind. The others didn't catch Bryn's meaning, or if they did, they showed no sign. She tried to change the subject. Could it have been a student at the academy? Remember that one prank when Kirillos fused pigeon wings to a, a rat and let it loose in the dining hall? Maybe, Roldo said. But a creature that large would require far more power than Kirillus could manage. Well, perhaps some wizard wanted a night guard for his tower. Owls do have fantastic night vision. I hear they have a fighting pit in the lower city, said Bryn. Perhaps the beast was fashioned for that, matched against some other monstrosity. Galen scoffed. Did you see the ranger's picture? That thing would make for a curiosity bout at best. As the others continued to speculate about the monster's origin, Partha became lost in her own thoughts. It wasn't fair. She didn't choose her parents. Why should she be made to suffer for their choices? Even the term everyone used to describe her kind, half-elf. Why not human-elf or elf-human, if the order mattered? No. All people cared about was the elven half. The other half was base. The other half wasn't worth mentioning. During one of their many arguments, Partha's father told her that half-elves sometimes have it worse in human lands. Elves ain't got some special claim to all the arrogance in the world. Most humans think of themselves as the racial standard. All other races are treated like walking, talking monsters. In human circles, half-elf is a way of saying abnormal. Thanks, Dad, Partha thought sourly. She wondered if she would ever feel welcome anywhere. She wondered if... Oh. Partha tripped, too caught up in wondering to watch where she was walking, landed in an ungainly tangle on the needle-strewn soil. She turned to see what she tripped over, a bundle of sticks half-leaning against a tree. Some woodcutter's work left behind? Upon closer inspection, Partha realized the bundle wasn't sticks at all, but... Bones? Bryn stood nearby, looking at the bundle with obvious distaste. It was roughly four feet long, bones of all sizes compacted with first scraps, 
all of it haphazardly lashed together with slimy coils of hair. A witch's cache? Perhaps a totemic infusion, Partha speculated. Left out to cure in the wild? You mean... I dare you to reach inside. Bryn giggled. <laughs> Shut up. For a brief moment, Partha recalled her friendship with Bryn. For a moment, it felt like they'd gone back there. Little girls laughing with no secrets or ill will between them. Come on, Partha went on playfully. There might be a gem in there. No way. Really? You'll never know unless- Reminds me of the muse, said Galen, just behind the girls, come to see what they were looking at. Bryn stepped away from Partha like she had the plague. Partha tried to cover her shame, asking Galen, What are the muse? Bryn rolled her eyes. A small house where hunting falcons are kept, Galen explained. We'd always find these small pellets on the floor. Mouse bones, fish scales, the feathers of small birds, whatever the falcons couldn't digest. Gross. You're right. It turns my stomach just looking at it, Galen sputtered. He puffed his cheeks, eyes going wide, and staggered towards the girls. Please, I can't hold it. Galen mock vomited on Bryn. Gross. <laughs> Bryn laughed. She pushed Galen away, but not too strenuously. Partha grinned in spite of herself. Something bothered her, though. A pellet this size? Found it! cried Roldo, a little downhill from them. The others went to crowd around him as he scooped a small azure flower from the earth. A polavina! Roldo said proudly. Partha stared at Roldo's prize with awe and some degree of nervousness. Other students had told her stories about what to expect. Whispers of broken secrets. But how could something so small deliver an effect so... powerful? Galen snatched the polavina from Roldo's cupped hands. Now the real expedition begins. Turtlebat, said Partha. Then, before she could change her mind, she put the pipe to her lips and inhaled deeply. Perhaps more deeply than she originally intended, but the others were watching. Smoke filled her lungs, set fire to her blood in an unpleasant rush. She knew from second-hand accounts that Polovina was best experienced on a full belly, but Bryn had made her self-conscious. While Partha was growing up, all of the other girls her age, the pureblood elves, were thin as willow reeds. She often starved herself to blend in, and earlier tonight she'd only nibbled at her food. Now she wished she had eaten more as the smoke filled her lungs. What started as mild lightheadedness quickly grew into wild, lurching vertigo. That a girl, Galen cheered, putting his arm around her. Partha swayed, practically falling into Galen's shoulder. Across the fire, Bryn stared jealously, flames dancing in her wide, dark eyes. Partha tried to push away from Galen, but her hand slipped and found its way into his lap. She jumped back like she'd been burned. Whoa, don't drop it, Galen laughed, taking the pipe from Partha's numb fingers. She felt unmoored, unbound, half out of her head, half out of the world. Partha leaned back, eyelids slowly sinking. Did wizards really use this to help focus their energies? If anything, Partha felt the opposite, like she could just exhale and become a being of pure energy, dissipating through the forest. The voices of the others reverberated around her, seeming to come from a great distance, as if spoken down the length of a long, echoing canyon. I get it, said Roldo. A turtle with bat wings! Completely useless. How about chicken toad? 
said Bryn. Chicken fox, Galen suggested. Bull cow! Crow crap. I, oh, I mean crow carp. Are you all right? Partha? Partha? Partha blinked, trying to lift her head straight. Roldo looked at her with concern. I'm fine. She slurred. You know, if this is your first time smoking polavina, you may be experiencing a rare but well-documented allergic reaction. Even with sight blurred, Partha saw Bryn roll her eyes. Roldo went on. If you experience a sharp stabbing pain in your... down there, you should let us know right away. The reaction isn't fatal, but can cause serious impairment in four out of five... My turn, Galen shouted. Handcock. What? Those aren't even... Put them together and Roldo doesn't have to tug himself every night. They all laughed, even blushing Roldo. Galen tried to smoke, but could barely hold the pipe to his mouth. <laughs> Stop laughing! He yelled at them, himself laughing. Galen passed the pipe to Bryn. Bryn's hand lingered on Galen's, but he hardly seemed to notice. He turned back to put his arm around Partha. Bryn glared at Partha bringing the pipe up to her lips. Ass pig. Bryn sang sweetly. Completing her incantation, Partha placed the tiny mushroom atop a pile of salt. It would function like a shrieker if anyone crossed the line between this and an identical mushroom ten strides distant. Was this her third or fourth protective ward? The effects of the polavina still coursed through her blood, making it difficult to focus on even the smallest detail. She steadied herself on a nearby tree trunk as she rose to her feet. Fourth, she decided. One more would complete the pentacle surrounding the camp, surely sufficient against any. Don't tell me that old fart spooked you. Partha nearly jumped. Galen leaned against the other side of the same tree trunk. She hadn't even heard him approach. Just taking precautions, she stammered. <laughs> this isn't the first time something like this has happened, Galen said airily. My father told me stories about these kinds of experiments. Tortured, grotesque things, all of them. Half mad from whatever cruel magics had been used to mash them together. Most of the creatures just hobble a few steps, then collapse into pieces. Partha shuddered, and Galen mistook it for fear. Perhaps some courage? He chided, holding out a flask. Partha took a moderate swallow, grateful for the friendly gesture more than anything else. The liquor was syrupy and harsh, but definitely warming. Thanks, Galen, she said, handing the flask back. <sighs> Galen drank as well, but his eyes never left her. Partha smiled. Couldn't help herself. She looked away into the darkness of the forest and saw a distant light. What's that? Galen peered in the same direction. Probably just the old ranger blundering around in the dark with a lamp, looking for his stupid lost creature. Yeah, of course. Stupid. A moment later, the light was gone. For an instant before the light disappeared, it seemed like two lamps side by side. But why would the ranger carry two lamps? Galen offered Partha the flask again. She took it without thinking, but as she raised it to her lips, she hesitated. The polavina really made her dizzy, felt as if her thoughts were wrapped in cotton, each slow to find in a jumble of soft, pale emotions. He egged her on. Oh, come on. It's lowland brandy. I brought it along especially. Especially for her? Something about his tone seemed strange. Partha gave him a shy smile of thanks, then took a long pull from the flask. That a girl? 
See? Heard it's popular with you people. Partha nearly choked. My people? Come on. Did you really think it was so secret? Stupid, she chided herself inwardly. She'd been so stupid, thinking she could pass for one of them. And all the while they knew. They knew. I mean, look at yourself, Partha, Galen went on. Every full-blooded elven girl that Eldabeth has half-grown tits and ass as flat as an oatcake. Some boys might go for that. But I like my ladies a bit more... sturdy. Galen moved closer, putting his hand on her breast. Partha was dumbstruck. Galen was a fine-featured young man, but this didn't feel right. She should push his hand away, shouldn't she? She wanted to do it, but she also wanted acceptance, however it might come... How could she turn Galen away without giving him reason to hate her? Blame her father. That's how. Please, Galen. She whispered, voice quavering. If my father found out. Galen barked his arrogant laugh at that. <laughs> Why would it matter? Partha's breath caught in her throat. For a moment, she thought he meant that her mixed blood didn't matter. It was the romantic dream of everyone, girl or boy, who stood outside the circle of popularity and power. Love can erase all lines. For those who truly wished to be together, the boundaries of race and class didn't matter. Why would it? Then Partha caught the look in Galen's eyes, and she understood his real meaning. She bit her lip, tried to hold back tears, but it was no use. She whirled suddenly and dashed back to her tent, leaving Galen standing alongside her fourth protective ward, staring after her in confusion. Why would it matter? It didn't. Because she didn't matter. To Galen... She was a curiosity at best. Partha knew that some elves in Mead regarded humans as little better than farm animals, good for labor of one sort or another, but not much else. They tolerated her father out of respect for her mother, but his word held no weight. The elves regarded him as a good pet, which made her the child of a pet. No, even worse in the eyes of some elves. A child of a pet was just another pet. You could love a puppy. However, if her mother had married a dog and given birth to half-puppies, those offspring would be shunned, living signs of a disgusting, degenerate act. And that's how some elves saw her. Two halves together that made something less than whole. Partha had difficult dreams that night, tossing and turning in her small tent. The polovina and the liquor and the emotional turmoil combined to make a strange brew in her thoughts. Dreams of her mother. Her mother said softly, then reached into that slimy bundle of bones and pulled out a shepherd's crook. Dreams of her father. He sharpened his dagger in stony silence while Partha screamed at him. You should have died! Dreams of twin lights, shining deep in the forest, coming closer. She woke once, hearing soft moans from the next tent. Bryn and Galen. That could be me, Partha thought. The notion sparked a mixture of emotions. She covered her head with the pillow and rolled over to drown them out. When next Partha woke, she wasn't sure why at first. Then she realized there was someone in her tent. Partha looked down, small shock at seeing Galen's head poke through the tent flap, one hand clutching her ankle, his face unreadable in the darkness. Bryn's tent is one over, Partha hissed. Don't think I didn't hear you two earlier. She tried to pull her foot away, but he gripped her all the more tightly. Please, breathed Galen urgently. Please. It seemed so unlike Galen. Was this his thing? Overbearing in the daylight, but submissive in the bedroom? 
Frankly, it seemed pathetic. If Partha ever felt any attraction towards him, it was far overshadowed by her distaste now. Please go, Galen. She rolled over, and when that didn't make her point clear enough, she swatted away Galen's feeble groping hand. A moment later, Galen withdrew in a loud huff. He stormed out so violently that Partha's tent nearly fell over. She heard him kick over the firewood pile outside. What a child. Partha tried to go back to sleep, but she was annoyed at Galen. The way he'd spoken to her earlier? The way he groped her just now? Please, she said to him. Please? The bastard, thought Partha, pawing at her like some half-copper slattern only hours after plugging away at Bryn. The bastard! She should have told him to go fuck himself. Go fuck yourself, Galen, you arrogant elven prick. Please go fuck yourself all the way up the mountain and back down again. Partha sat up, shaking with fury. At Galen? At herself? At all of elven kind and humankind? Two sides pushing down on her and pressing close like the drooping sides of the tent. Partha quickly put on a heavy robe to guard against the night chill. Was she really going to do this? She was going to do this. She threw back the flap of her tent, charged out, and nearly collided with Bryn. Where is he? Partha blinked. Bryn had an oversized blanket wrapped around her thin shoulders, the corner trailing in the dirt. Under other circumstances, she might have looked beautiful, half undressed in the glow of the dying fire. But Bryn's sneering expression spoiled her beauty. She thrust her pointed chin at Partha's tent. Is he in there? She hissed, spit flying from her pale lips. Tell the truth, you half whore! Partha spat back. I'm not the one who spread my fucking legs for him as soon as- Partha stopped short, looking past Bryn in puzzlement. After a moment, Bryn turned in annoyance to see what Partha saw. Just beyond the dim firelight, ten feet up in the air, Galen. Only his pale head and shoulders. Like he was levitating, half obscured by a shifting mass of darkness below. It took a moment for their vision to adjust to see that Galen was somehow perched on top of a mountain of black feathers. He stared at Bryn and Partha with eyes wide as saucers. His mouth worked open and closed, but no words came out. He beat his fists against the black mountain like a child might strike feebly at the mattress in his throes of a nightmare. The mountain twitched and made a soft but distinct gulping sound. Galen slid downward, hands losing their purchase on the long black feathers like a man grappling with quicksand. Galen's face tilted upwards, eyes rolling wildly as if searching the pines above for help or understanding. The mountain twitched again, black feathers rippling. Galen's face disappeared, gulped down noisily. His arms wobbled in the air for a brief moment. Then they disappeared as well. And like that, Galen was gone. Bryn whimpered. The mountain of black feathers began to turn. Partha froze. She saw its downward curving beak in profile, like the beard of a great axe, sharp and shining in the dim firelight. The creature's throat bulged on one side, and Partha thought to herself, That's Galen. All his beauty and arrogance crushed into that bulge. She nearly laughed at the absurdity of it, or maybe terror made her half mad. While the rest of the beast's dark feathered mass remained unnaturally still, its head continued to turn, turning, turning. It came all the way around until it transfixed Partha with its great glowing eyes, each as big as her head, framed in a ghostly white face, twin amber orbs that held a soft light and uncanny depth like convex windows into some golden otherworldly realm. 
under other circumstances, framed in a different face. Those eyes might have been beautiful. This monster was no clumsy mash of two creatures, but an entirely new thing. The halves of its parent species perfectly balanced to form something greater, like two rivers that meet to make a strange and misty sea. In all the books and paintings Partha had ever seen, it seemed like the most fearsome monsters were depicted with a heavy coloring of human emotion. Snarling and spitting, glaring and growling, roaring, raging things. Like they might feel angry as they attack. But Partha didn't see anger in those eyes across the clearing, no more than she might have looked into the contents of her soup bowl. The monster's expression might best be described as intent. That's the word Partha would use a steady trajectory to its thoughts, writ large in those eyes, no anger or guile, intent, simple and pure, its undivided attention bent in a single direction, towards her. Mustafiene! A sudden streak of eldritch light crossed the clearing and struck the creature. Roldo stepped over the dying fire, casting a second missile at the monster, and a third. All made a good show, whistling through the night air, flashing bright as they struck the creature's side, sending showers of fey sparks and burning feathers. The creature dropped back a pace, but was otherwise unaffected. All Roldo had managed to do was get the monster's complete and undivided attention. The creature charged. It passed Partha less than three strides away, the rustle of its feathers making less sound than a handkerchief falling. Seemed unnatural that something so massive could move through space with so little sound. In the wind of its passing, Partha could smell the beast's musk, like wet soil and horse lather and her moon's blood. Oh, fuck! Roldo only got half of a word out as the beast struck him. <laughs> then the force of its charge took them both into the forest, where they disappeared. Only a shoe remained on the ground where Roldo had stood just moments earlier. Partha heard the sounds of trees splitting in the blackness beyond, and she knew that it would be foolish to wait any longer. Gripping Bryn's hand, Partha turned and ran. At first she didn't know where to go, bare feet pounding across the needle-strewn forest floor, her heart hammering in her ears, Bryn whimpering at her back. A sudden high-pitched squeal sounded somewhere nearby, one of Partha's false shriekers. She crossed her own alarm line. How had the monster gotten past them? It didn't matter. She didn't slow. She kept running, dragging Bryn along. Bryn felt like dead weight, pulled through mud. Weren't elves supposed to be fleet a fucking foot? Partha felt rather than heard the monster pursuing them. She risked a brief glance back and saw it. A giant shadow weaving back and forth through the trees, growing larger. Partha shouted a half-prepared spell, flinging her arm behind. A blast of force went Wittershins through the forest. Unlikely that her spell hit its mark. For all the hours of rigorous study at Eldabeth, all the exercises and lectures and drills and tests to ensure that students have a good grasp on the arcane mysteries, it seemed a shame that her instructors never gave lessons in this one very practical thing, casting a spell behind while running from an attacker. Partha didn't know exactly where she was going until she saw it in front of her, the hollow tree. She plunged toward it, silently thanking the spirit of her mother for guiding her feet through the darkness. Heedless of the splintered sides that raked her shoulders, Partha dove through the crack, pulling Bryn through after. But Bryn jerked to a sudden stop, halfway. What had snagged her? Bryn was thin as a whisper. She should have fit through the crack more easily than Partha. Partha pulled with both hands, met Bryn's gaze, and realized the wooden crack wasn't holding Bryn back. Four long, sharp talons sank deep into the side of Bryn's face. No! 
That's all Bryn said. To whom? Partha? The monster? The gods? No. Then the talons started pulling. Partha didn't know what to do. She couldn't let Bryn go, but the monster hauled her the other way, pulling at her skull, pulling at her skin. Blood poured down the side of Bryn's head. Her lips stretched back from her teeth in a terrible leer, tearing, stretching. Bryn screamed as her face started to slide, features ripping sideways across her skull, her eyes and mouth distorting dreadfully, the scream itself going sideways, shifting into a bubbling wail, the sound of pure agony, a distant opposite of Bryn's normal musical voice. Partha lost her grip. Bryn disappeared in an instant, like she'd never been there at all. For a few seconds, Partha stared in horror at the crack. The edges smeared with Bryn's blood. Only darkness outside, and quiet. Her own panting, sobbing breath sounding thunderous, echoing inside the hollow trunk. Then the long talons ripped and raked at the crack. Two, three times. The beast couldn't fit its arm through. Partha pressed her back against the far side of the trunk's interior as the monster tried to open the crack wider. Thankfully, the old tree didn't yield under the creature's blows. Solid as stone. A breath of silence. Was it gone? Then boom! The creature hammered with its full feathered bulk against the hollow tree. It tried to use its curved beak like the blade of a shovel to prise the crack apart. One great golden eye pressed right up against the gap and stared at Partha. Clear and powerful as any voice, the eye screamed the monster's singular intent. She couldn't move, couldn't breathe. A small part of her mind thought, this is what they mean when they talk about a prey animal going limp when it locks eyes with a predator. And then the walls began to creak. All around Partha, the hollow trunk splintered and cracked. The curved wood began to fold inwards, fibers popping like strained threads. In helpless horror, she realized what was happening. The monster had wrapped its powerful arms around the tree to break the trunk apart, with her inside. Partha looked up, saw a small patch of night sky. Perhaps she could climb out the top. It was death outside, but surely inside was death as well. Partha braced her hands and feet on either side of the hollow and started to climb. Jagged splinters cut into her palms. She winced in pain but kept going, a spider scrambling up a drain pipe. What would she do when she got to the top? Worry about that when it... The walls split with a crack, and Partha fell, half sliding and half tumbling back down to the floor of the hollow trunk. Wood dust and small bugs rained on her head. It was no use. In moments, the creature would either pull the old tree apart or crush her like a leaf in the pages of a book. No use at all, but Partha wasn't about to give up that easily. Spitting splinters, she pushed herself off the ground, and her fingers closed on something soft, like fruit, like berries. Partha hesitated for an instant, not nearly long enough to weigh the risks. Enchanters used plate berries on armor, not living things, and only after a special preparation. They might not have any beneficial effect when ingested. They might turn her insides as hard as rock and kill her slowly. These considerations are fine in the classroom, but trapped in a hollow tree with a monster outside, Partha didn't have the time or presence of mind to consider anything. She stuffed them in her mouth three and four at a time. She nearly vomited when the first went down her throat. It tasted like burnt pepper and rotten chalk. But she forced herself to swallow and ate more. Another boom. The world turned sideways, 
Partha's head snapped back, then forward. She tasted blood. Everything frayed apart. Everything spun wildly end over end. She gripped the crumbling wood walls desperately, screaming so hard it felt like her throat tore in two. Then a final crack, and the entire trunk burst apart. Partha flailed upward with a shout of defiance, found the ground instead. Her ears rang, her head still spun. She reached out to brace herself on the walls of the hollow, but grasped only air. She staggered to her feet, dizzy, sore, weeping. Turning this way and that, she found herself surrounded by the twisting wreckage of the old pine trunk. Blinking back into focus, Partha turned. Where the hollow trunk once stood, now hunched the monster. Twin lamp eyes aglow. Fifty strides uphill. She gasped in disbelief. Amazing that she tumbled so far, or been thrown so far, and lived. The plate berries. Dumb luck? Both? Partha didn't have time or presence of mind to celebrate. She watched in numb terror as the creature stepped over whatever ruin was left of the torn stump. It dropped to all fours and began to charge down the hill. An avalanche of black feathers, silent and huge as it came for her, and she was too weak to run. And after all her struggles, this is how... Red feathers sprouted from the monster's shoulder, almost like a bird had landed there all of a sudden. But the feathers lined a wooden shaft. An arrow. The monster barely seemed to notice. Then two more arrows struck its side in quick succession. One of those missiles pierced the creature's eye. It staggered. For the first time, Partha heard the creature's voice. Not a shriek or a roar, but a sad cooing noise. The sound a dove might make if it weighed 200 stone. The gurgling complaint of a baby giant. Partha saw the old ranger crashing through the trees, moving like an arrow himself despite his years and loosing more arrows as he ran. The monster started to turn towards this new threat, but the arrows were relentless. The creature's front leg went out underneath it, and it tumbled downhill, cutting a thunderous, ungainly swath through the dry pine needles. It slid to a stop, not far from where Partha cowered amidst the ruins of the hollow trunk. The monster lay on its side, paws flexing slowly, like it was running away in a dream. Winded, the old ranger skidded to a stop over the fallen creature. He fired three more arrows at close range. They each went in so deep into the creature that the fletchlings disappeared. And finally, it was still. Girl! Holding his bow at full draw with the point of another arrow a hand's breadth away from the creature's head, the ranger called out again. Girl, are you hurt? Partha blinked. He was talking to her. I... Hardly a whisper. Her throat felt raw from screaming and the plate berries and everything else. I'm fine. And your friends? Partha couldn't answer. She could see each of them clearly in her mind. Galen sinking into the creature's throat. Roldo's lone shoe left behind. Bryn pulled away from the crack of the hollow tree by the skin of her face. Dead. Partha answered. The ranger slumped a bit. Sorry about that, he said, sparing a quick glance of sympathy for the battered girl. And that's what killed him. Like a stone from a catapult, the monster sprang off the ground, caught the ranger by surprise. His shot went wide, and he fell back. In a heartbeat, the beast had its full weight on top of him, tearing at the ranger's face with its beak, tearing at his body with those long, curved talons. Blood flew, droplets spraying high into the air. The old ranger fought like hell, spitting and cursing and snarling, sounding more animal than the massive beast upon him. He managed to draw his broad-bladed dagger, stabbed the creature over and over, 
But by that point, the old ranger was already half dead. The knife fell from numb fingers as the creature pulled out his guts, continued to tear at him and gnawed him and maul him long after his struggles had ceased. The monster didn't even notice when the ranger's dagger jumped into the air. Was she really doing this? She was doing this. End over end, the dagger sailed, heavy blade flashing. Partha met it halfway, her fingers fitting perfectly into the worn leather-bound grip, bare feet pounding across needle-strewn forest floor, sprinting towards the creature with singular intent. The searchers found Partha sitting on the ground, hugging her knees, with the ranger's dagger still clutched in her hand. A death grip, they called it. She was covered in blood, which made them panic at first, but most of it belonged to the monster. Partha stared unblinking at the carnage across the clearing. The old ranger's corpse had been reduced to a barely recognizable heap of bloody bits. Looked like the floor of a butcher's shop. And the monster? The sun just began to rise over the harrows, like a voyeur peeking over a fence. Beams of light slanted down between the crossed pine branches, and one of them touched the creature's corpse. Blood sparkled bright red, just beginning to crust around half a hundred wounds. Under that warm daylight glow, the monster's feathers assumed a rich multitude of colors, tawny brown and blue, deep bronze and shining silver, and a dozen hues between. Not black. Not black at all. The searchers were gentle with Partha at first, then annoying. Everyone talking, everyone clamoring over her, over the monster, asking her questions about eggs? Partha barely heard any of it, because all of her attention was focused on the broad figure striding up the hillside toward her. Tears sparkled in his beard. Unable to stop herself, Partha wept as well, and favored her father with a full smile. And with that, our story comes to a close. Wow, what an adventure. I love this story for really shining a light on the intense and predatory nature of the owlbear. Too often, in my opinion, this creature gets a bit of a comical rap. And the author even made a nice head nod to that in the beginning with the ranger's drawing. But in the end, it's still a savage beast whose twin animal nature serve it quite well when it comes to taking out a group of young campers. A side note. Owlbears love dried apricots as a snack. Just a friendly tip should you ever find yourself on the unfortunate end of one's bad side. Thank you for tuning in. Today's tale was written by Chris Passetto. It was narrated and produced by Chuck D. Yeager. Voice talent was provided by Brooke Gunn, Sidney Kerr, Chris Passetto, Tanya Yeager, and myself. All music is by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. If you have a story about a monster and want to join the illustrious writers of the Monster Nation, feel free to contact us at themonsterboxawaits at gmail.com. And until next time, remember, there's a story within every monster.